Welcome to Executive Tools, the purpose of the organization, chapter one, basics, part three. Here we go. This cast answers these questions. Why does my organization exist? How does this affect me as an executive? What can I do to become an executive? Well, if you want answers to these questions and more, keep listening. Okay, Mark, uh, welcome back from the holidays. Yes. Let's get right to it. We're in part three of our series on the purpose of the organization, chapter one, basics. We started off the series talking about the story of the newly named CEO and talked a little bit about what it means to be a CEO. Um, we talked about the purpose of the organization, to serve society, folks, to serve society, and what that yeah, means. not to make money. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a byproduct. It blows people's minds, but it's true. Yeah. And today we're going to start talking about Okay, what, what does this mean for the executive? Yeah, so um, I am always think it's funny when people describe organizations, particularly capitalistic corporations, of course, as vile and evil because their, their goal is profit. You know, they're serving the god of mammon. And it's just silly because that's not why organizations exist. Internally, a lot of managers will focus on whether or not something is profitable because that's the measure they are able to use. It's really a very good measure um, for a lot of reasons, and we'll discuss it in a future Executive Tools cast to arm, equip our community and listeners with words to say in the event someone says, oh, you know, you're, you're a vile capitalist because you're out to make money. And you can say, no, I'm really not, and let me educate you on the history of the economic system that you are benefiting so magnificently from. Yeah, so the role of the executive flows directly from the purpose of the organization, which is, of course, true, because the smallest organization is one person, and uh, one person, therefore, that one person would be an executive. This is all because the ultimate description, if you will, of the executive is one whose primary responsibility is the long-term sustainment of the organization. And that follows inevitably from thinking about the organization as an organism where somebody or something, some entity has to care for the life of the organization. And if the organization is, in fact, providing a net good in that there are people willing to exchange goods and services for what it is the organization has, what would be the reason for not continuing to do so? I, I can think of some edge cases, but by and large, the answer is there'd be none. So what that means is if you follow our discussion about the nature of organizations, executives then, it's not just that we now have a reason for executives, which we do, but now we have a reason for what executives must do. By definition, executives have to concern themselves primarily with the results of the organization, because that's how the organization survives. And it's important to note that results of all organizations occur outside of the organization itself. And what that means is, because all results are outside of the organization, True executives have to see all of the results of the organization, and so therefore they serve the entire organization and not just a particular department. And they do so. The way you do this is 
is by ensuring the organization survives so it can continue to achieve its mission of serving its society. This is just a, it's like a logic waterfall, Mike. You, mm-hmm. you, people start saying, oh, well, this and this and this. And like, no, I mean, I'm sorry. You really don't understand how organizations exist, why they exist, their value, their strengths and weaknesses. And all human endeavors have weaknesses. And people just don't understand it. And, and internally, the manager who wants to become an executive, and good on you, mate, for, for wanting that, the manager who wants to become an executive who is steeped in internal issues and then becomes an executive and doesn't understand these things is fighting the wrong battle. Right. Would you agree that there, there are too many executives who don't understand this and act as if the purpose of the organization is solely to make money? Yeah, I love it when you say act as if, because act as if is the translation of the meaning believe, right? So when we say someone acts as if that profit is the motive, then essentially we can infer that they believe that profit is the motive. Yeah. You know, you ask, do I think there are too many? Yes, because as long as there's one, there's too many. When organizations go astray, it's because humans went astray. Mm. And the, the fact that we grant legal personhood to corporations doesn't change the fact that corporations by themselves don't make decisions. Individuals make decisions. Um, in some cases, individuals make recommendations, but generally individuals make decisions. Groups don't make decisions. And same thing in academia and in government, governmental organizations and non-governmental, but non-capitalistic organizations as well. All these basic rules of human organizations, human behavior, human decision-making, human beliefs applies. Look, if you don't have an understanding, a firm grounding in in the organization's purpose, whatever your purpose is, again, which can only be achieved externally, executives would basically be at a loss for how to behave, for how to shape, for how to structure, for how to grow the organization, for where to spend their time, how to invest in external resources of income that the customer has traded for the service or product that the organization has provided. And by the way, we, we will have more to say in future casts about the underlying economic principles that are so important, which of course is all built on the freedom to choose and the freedom to engage in, in commerce and uh, the economic laws, pricing mechanism, people just don't understand. Mike, you asked me what executives and managers don't understand. The majority of people I know that I have talked to over the years don't know when I say, well, tell me what the pricing mechanism is. And they don't, they don't Mm. know. And they rely on it every day and it makes their life incredibly great and it requires freedom, but they don't know what it is. And you got to have free exchange of goods and services um, for all this to work. If you've ever wondered why academia and governmental organizations are so much less efficient than capitalistic organizations, look at the productivity numbers, this should give you some clue as to why. Because the external results are not as clear. Now, there are some people, and I've gotten some emails about this, Mike, the the discussion um, about the organization is surprising. When we talk about manager tools, people think about individual managers. And we're talking about organization and results and so on. 
That's why we called it Executive Tools. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's point. a different yeah. podcast. There you go, folks. <laughs> Change the subject. Yeah. Um, we have talked very little here about profit. Um, we have focused on the societal nature of organizations because that is the nature of organizations. They are social entities. Corporate organizations are not about profit. They're not about money. They are, by definition, about service to society. Please, folks, don't be misled by the current popular arguments about profits versus societal needs. They're false negative narratives grounded in political arguments that really only make educated executives shudder. And, and you might say, well, what about B corporations? I promise you we're going to talk about B corporations. We're going to talk about ESG, environmental, social, governmental, uh, our governance um, considerations. And we'll give you a very holistic case for why the existing system is probably the best one. Now, it's important to note here, the biggest, one of the biggest, if not the biggest change between a manager and executive is the change in focus from your department or your group or your district or your division or whatever to the entire organization. When we're managers, we're focused largely on internal issues, efficiency, productivity. But the executive's focus has to be on the effectiveness of the entire organization, which is only achieved externally, again, service in serving society. In fact, folks, it, this change is so intrinsic to being an executive that if your role is defined in such a way as to be clearly internal, you may not be an executive, even if you have a title as suggested. And it's not clear from people's titles. I often ask people who I'm maybe coaching and then people around them to get input and so on. I ask them about, tell me what you do. And they have a very frothy title. And the end result of my conversation is I don't need to spend any more time with them because they're not an executive. They get to go to executive meetings and they get to make an executive pronouncements. But my guess is the CEO doesn't listen to him or her. But they got a frothy title, so that's good. Yes, okay. Yeah, that's yeah good. it's good. Yeah. Froth. And probably froth. a frothy bank account. Good for them. <laughs> and it's funny that people who have frothy bank accounts complain about companies existing to, to make money. Really? You mean you don't exist to make money? Or you're unhappy with the fact that you make so much money? There are even C-suite people who are not executives. Look, for many years, a director, quote unquote, director with a capital D, was someone who managed other managers. It was generally considered an important stepping stone for a professional's career because it was considered the start of someone's exposure to executive responsibilities. But in the past 20 years or so, thank you, Silicon Valley, just kidding, there has been such a degradation of the director title that even frontline managers who manage individual contributors are called directors. Thank you, Silicon Valley. The role of a director in many organizations no longer carries any connection to the exposure to executive roles and responsibilities. So be careful about that if they promote you to director and you were thinking that that made you an executive. Which then brings us to another conundrum, which is who really is an executive. Impossible to tell. <laughs> yeah, it, that's right. I mean, I have to tell you, I used to know and I don't anymore. And I don't make any bones about it. I fought that for a while. I said, no, I know this, but no, no, it's gotten messy. 
uh, it's become virtually impossible to tell due to all the various arguments that exist. Using the modern vernacular, except for all but the very most senior roles, just gets really messy really fast. Um, maybe, again, the best definition would be Druckers, someone who has the ability or authority to put plans and actions into place for the entire organization. That should tell you in some of your organizations how badly messed up it is that the only person who can make something happen across the entire organization is the CEO. And that's the sign of a really, really unhealthy organization because you don't want a 10,000 person with only one, 10,000 person organization with only one executive. You know, one of the things I told people for years in trying to help them understand whether they were an executive or not, most people, when they talk to me about it, discovered that they're not, unfortunately, to their, to their chagrin. And then some of them asked me, well, then, gosh, I thought at, that, at this salary, I would be an executive. I said, no, no, you can't infer executiveness from the salary. You can probably infer salary from executiveness, but it doesn't work the other way around. Uh, some people actually are getting more money just to keep them quiet so that they can think that they're important and they'll be comfortable, but they're not going to have a seat at the table thinking about the external responsibilities of the organization. Um, I've often used as an analogy, though, and this started happening when I was working in Silicon Valley in the 90s, most people think of executives being close to the top of an organization. It's a helpful distinction but it's, it's not dispositive. In smaller organizations, since if you only have three people, everybody is close to the top, then that makes virtually everyone an executive. What's funny is in some cases, that's actually true because everybody's thinking about customers, but in many, many, many other cases, that's not true. If there were only five, 10, 20 employees, nobody is far from the top unless you have a very narrow, awkward, inefficient um organizational chart. I often tell people that there's a different way of looking at this line of thought is you're probably not an executive unless you're far from the bottom. And even that construction is uh, not wholly accurate, but it's just another way to help us make a determination. There are other people who say, and I don't think Peter Drucker would disagree that almost anyone could be an executive if they are a knowledge worker. But frankly, most people don't know what knowledge worker means and don't understand the history of it and so on. And if that's the case, everybody's an executive and now we have real problems. Again, the way I think of it is you got to be thinking about stuff outside of the organization. There are people who I think make a pretty good case that salespeople are executives because they're thinking outside the organization. Unfortunately, too many salespeople are focused on their own numbers and not on all the results of the organization. Now, look. The way modern organizations have evolved, I, I don't know if it's good or bad. I, I haven't thought about this when I was writing this cast. I didn't really think this particular part through in terms of its, its genesis. But what's happened is people think about executives based on the role they're in. You know, they ask themselves, what roles are executive roles? And then people covet those roles in order to have the cachet of being an executive. And look, that's misguided, but it's inevitable with human beings because that's how we are. And then you start saying, okay, if it's roles, then we start having structural discussions, which is why we mentioned structure and shape earlier. A far better way to think about executiveness 
is about what responsibilities, not roles, responsibilities qualify someone for them to be considered an executive. So here you go. As a general rule, if you need help defining who an executive is, it's someone who's respons- who has responsibilities outside the organization and which affect the entire organization. This is why general managers who run a $1 million U.S. business in a billion-dollar conglomerate are executives, while someone with the title of senior director in a support function with a bigger budget and a much bigger purview across the multi-billion-dollar conglomerate might not be an executive in the eyes of the organization. And if you don't know, by the way, folks, a general manager, if, if you ever hear us say general manager, and there are some people who have the title of general manager, but actually aren't a general manager. A general manager is somebody who has profit and loss responsibilities. And typically in larger, much larger multinational organizations, people who are considered development candidates who are doing very well in their career are given early general manager responsibilities to see if they can make the transition from being focused on a narrow part of the organization to having responsibility for all of a small part of the organization to be responsible for making money. Uh, In fact, the history of big companies was growing in, in the beginning, in some cases, was buying small companies. And they tended to buy small companies that were well managed and left the person in charge of the organization because that person knew their customers better than anybody else. Now, to be clear, even after we suggested that some popular assumptions about who is and who is not an executive are unhelpful, we're not saying that our definition is the only one. It's not. The field and the the study of executives is complex. It's unclear. There'll always be numerous edge cases and exceptions. And I'm sure people are going to write me and say, well, what about this? And what about this? And what about this? And I'll tell you my opinion, but it's an ever-changing subject because the world is an ever-changing place. What we can say is two things about who is and who is not an executive. A lot more people assume they are executives than they actually are, folks. And in many cases, for good reasons, you assume you're an executive because your organization told you you're an executive when in fact you're not an executive. Sorry. In some cases, that's because the person who's telling you inside the organization doesn't know the difference. And in some cases, organizations are poorly administered and uh, they identify roles that are executive in nature. Term is generally used for uh, describing a set of ranks or positions in the organization above a certain level, right? Mm-hmm. You're executive once you become a director, right? As opposed to how we're defining this by what they do, what the responsibilities right. what are. What they do, yes. Yeah, and what's funny is people, we've said this before in many casts over the years in manager tools, what do people do when they get promoted? More of what got them promoted. And this is the big danger, the the chasm you have to leap as a manager becoming an executive because an executive is a state change. And if you don't change your behaviors, unless your previous behaviors were guided by external focus factors all the time, if you don't change your behaviors, you're going to struggle as an executive, which is why most junior executives struggle. 
most of the misunderstandings about that executive versus not executives stem from a failure to understand responsibilities. That's the mistake. And we're going to have mini casts about executive responsibilities. We'll probably have a few case studies and see whether or not people can figure out, hey, in this situation, are they really an executive or not? And how did you decide? And what do you think about their salary relative to other people's salaries? Okay, that aside, we've always said that exec tools guidance will be much more difficult to deliver in an actual way because of these complexities. And because the vast majority of executives are loath to believe that there are principles and rules that will apply to them. Oh, this is art. It's not science, Mark. Everything is so subtle. You couldn't possibly tell me how to be a good executive. And, you know, some of that is justified and some of it's not. But to honor our long history of providing actionable guidance and to be We're going to do more about this later. We're going to go into more detail about this later. Here are some takeaways from this long derivation that we've been making for you. A manager becoming an executive must, I say again, must make a fundamental shift in her perspective from inside the organization to outside the organization. It is outside the organization that the results of the organization lie. And far too many managers have let their external networks, are you hearing me, folks? External networks, think about that. If you're a manager and your external networks are withering, you are going to struggle if you get that promotion to executive level that you have been coveting. By the way, covetousness is not a good thing. If executives are not focused internally, think about that. When executives stop focusing internally, organizations can avoid becoming consumed with internal politics. And if the more the executive then chooses to focus internally, the more internal politics there are. And then because the executives aren't focused externally, they get surprised by societal and economic changes. And what happens is the managers and even the executives are constantly being whipsawed back and forth, and people start complaining about what's going on in the world. Folks, don't complain about what's going on in the world. The world is is getting better in many ways, and it's not, because it's a human world, it's not that much difference in terms of its heroes and villains. There have always been heroes. There have always been villains. We're safer, richer, taller happier, eh, maybe not happier, but that's a choice every individual makes. We're safer, richer, taller, wealthier, uh, healthier, uh, stronger, faster than we were 100 years ago. Two, and we were, 100 years ago, we were safer, richer, taller, faster, happier, and so on than we were 200 years ago. And there are too many executives thinking too much about the internal organization, and they're missing things that are happening in the external world, and managers and employees are paying the price. When society changes, executives who are surprised leave their organizations at a disadvantage. They're not doing their job. If you're an executive, you should be able to see what's coming and know how to react to it in advance, to mute it if it's bad. Executives are obligated to be easily conversant in political, social, geopolitical, environmental, governmental, economic, and social trends of their world. And when I con- by conversant, I do not mean 
that you have talking points from your company. You're not a mouthpiece. You're an intelligent human being. You have to be conversant. So when somebody brings up the Paris Accord, or when somebody brings up the Chicago principles, because you might be recruiting on college campuses, I'll give you that hint. You need to know what those things are. Yeah, and figure out what what they mean for your organization, for your customers, right? Yes, that's the job of the executive, to be the cilia on the outside of the cell wall that are constantly sensing the temperature and pressure of the the ectoplasm that the organization is swimming in and decide what's happening here. Is this good or bad? Should we go this direction? Should we not? That's their job. And it's a fundamental state change. I've said that like five times. I'm getting old. Sorry. A manager becoming an executive must shift their focus from the short term to the long term. Yeah. A lot of executives have lost touch with, with that, unfortunately. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, it's embarrassing. I ask executives all the time, show me your calendar for the next three months. And after three weeks, it's empty. I'm sorry, the world isn't changing that fast. And in fact, as we like to say around here, if you want to predict the future, invent it. Part of the reason that so many managers themselves are only thinking about this week is that executives have lost touch with their futuristic responsibilities And they've shortened their own horizon. They're down to three weeks. And whatever time perspective more senior people have, more junior people are forced to have shorter timelines. I remember reading when I, before I went to work at Procter & Gamble, one of the great encomiums said about them was for years was their executives thought in decades. Now, maybe you could argue that technological changes shorten some timelines. I, I would say they don't. The fact is that everyone who has ever lived in the modern world post-enlightenment has complained of the pace of change quickening incessantly. So the fact that you complain about how much more quickly things are moving makes you no different from somebody who was talking about it in 1880 or 1780, about from which time I can produce quotes. The complaining about the speed is not proof of the speed. I'm sorry. Your feeling when you're 40 that things are moving faster than they were 25 is not proof that things are moving faster because there are two things that have changed, you and your society. Maybe it's just you've slowed down. I like to joke, I still feel 25. I've changed that. I used to say, I still feel 20. Now I feel 25. (laughs) You know, when I hit 80, I'll probably feel 30. Good genes. Good genes. Yeah, well, I hope so. But look, our pace of change is not new, but most of our organizations are getting slower. And why? In part, because they're getting bigger and bigger organizations are by definition slower. I remember reading years ago, Mike, that when Walmart was at the top of the Fortune 500, in order to grow 5%, which I think would have impressed the market, Walmart would have had to have added a Fortune 20 company to itself. I mean, just yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. Like and part of the reason organizations are slowing down is executives have lost touch with their unique responsibility to see beyond the time horizon, which exists along with the uh, organizational border horizon of thinking about outside, because outside is not now. It's the future. There's a time horizon as well to outside the organization, folks. 
And even if you want to say, well, we can't see the future, okay, fine. At least be knowledgeable enough that their projections and guesses about what's going to happen are more right than wrong. Next, a manager becoming an executive must not only capture results, but invest the proceeds of those results in the future. It's not enough for an executive to meet his targets. He must also have a plan for investing in future targets. For without investment, folks, there's no future. And we mean investment in people primarily. You should know that. This is why the arguments against profit are so juvenile. Profits are just down payments on costs needed to grow the services of the organization. And when organizations don't make profits, society is saying you shouldn't grow because we don't have as much need for what you used to provide. I don't know. That that seems so counter to people, but whatever. Uh, that's just economic history 101. Now, look, let me go back here briefly to structure and shape. We mentioned it earlier, but we were kind of getting ahead of ourselves. We'll talk about that more in future cast. When you become an executive, I want you to know something. This is another part of the change. It's not really a state change, but it's an easily missed change. When you become an executive, your organizational structure is not fixed by HR. The verticality of that structure is probably inevitable. You can't go totally flat. You can't have a completely different organizational structural idea than the rest of the organization without enormous political pushback. Within the verticality, the nature of modern human organizations, the rest of the choices, that is up to you in many ways. Yes, there are some limitations, HR and pay salary bans and those kind of things. But frankly, I've seen it done more often than I've seen it fail that Executives said, they're the wrong people in the wrong slots. The wrong slots are serving the wrong thing. That slot is considered powerful, but it's for a, uh, it's for a market uh, that probably is waning in importance and so on and so on. If you have an organization of 1,000 th employees or even 10,000, the transition to becoming an executive gives you much more latitude than you had as a manager to shape the organization you run to make it more effective. Now, look, this often takes the form of moving people around into the right roles to maximize productivity. And yes, productivity is measured by profit. That's a fundamental uh, truism of organizations. If your people tell you they feel good, but you don't make any profit, you won't get to stay an executive very long. Now, you'll find that if you're very, very profitable, the vast majority of your people will feel good. They'll be happy. That's because productivity drives and happiness and not the other way around. As an executive, you have a broader brush you can paint with other than just moving people around. You can eliminate teams. You can reassign personnel. You can create new teams and new departments. Yeah, there are political conversations we have and pre-wire is a schedule, but it can be done. And this is what a smart leader does when she becomes an executive is ask, okay, how old is this structure? Keep in mind. If you were outside of that organization and it didn't appear to you to be changing, trust me, almost all human uh, organizations uh, are changing slightly all the time. 
roles are switching slightly, people are moving from one team to another. So it's not as if you took over an organization in stasis, but it might be need might be a need of a significant shakeoff in desktop. Uh, that that could absolutely be true. I've seen it done many, many times. The macro structure is inevitable, but the micro structures ought to uh, be you you ought to be willing to change them to serve your vision of what the organization is going to be. Yeah. Okay. Dude, that was a lot. Yeah, 40 minutes. I think we've been recording for 35, 40 minutes. Well, I was one. referring so I, to the whole, you know, oh, three yeah. parts to get through That's all this. That's true. Yeah, and we're not even, we're just scratching the surface. It's like looking at a human being and I'm going to take a, a scraping of a skin cell and then attempt to determine the, mm-hmm. the entirety of the human human health. So let me let me summarize, and I'm hopefully some people waited around for this. What happened to our newly named CEO? Well, his name, by the way, was Alistair. That's actually his real name. He said I could use it, but not his last name, he said. He realized as CEO that he needed a different motivation. And he admitted first to his wife and then later to me that he needed a different motivation and regretted that he hadn't seen it earlier. He still regrets and revisits decisions that he made that helped him climb the ladder. Again, these were not solely selfish decisions. Remember that from the original story. But he thinks that he might have been even more effective had he not considered their effects on his own career. You know, when when I see people making a lot of decisions that benefit their careers, in fact, I recently tweeted about this, that the sign of a true executive is one who is making decisions that serve the larger organization, sometimes at the expense of his or her own organization, that don't grow their organization or their part of the budget. That's a true indicator. I often, when I'm talking to an executives about this, about, you know, it seems like they're making a lot of decisions that benefit their career. And they say, well, but that's not the reason I'm doing it. And I say, just remember, the difference between an executive and a leader is if if you're the leader of a ship, if you're the captain, you go down with the ship. And you could see them pale, like, oh Mm. my gosh, you know, like, it's not my job to get off first. It's not my job to, you know, negotiate an exit. No, that's the difference. And there are some people who are good mechanical executives, but will never be leaders. And there are some managers who were born leaders, and not that leadership is born. And we want more executives who are leaders, who put the organization before themselves. Just like that great quote I heard years ago when um, a young man was struggling in his marriage and his dad took him aside and said, well, son, maybe marriage isn't for you. And the son was shocked. His mom and dad have been married for 60 years. And and he says, dad, what are you talking about? Well, how would it not be for me? He says, you're missing my point. Your marriage is not about you. And so therefore it's not for you. It's for your spouse, and her marriage to you is not about her. It's to you, for you. You serve the organization, even in a great marriage. But look, Alistair changed for the better. He instituted development programs, and here's the key, in which he was directly involved to grow talent in his organization rather than relying on one person climbing the ladder faster than everybody else. He created an entire internal development organization to both teach what the executive's role really was, because he didn't know, and how to achieve not just in the organization, but more importantly, for the organization. Big difference in and for there. 
And he was careful to talk to those rising towns whose priorities might have been like his, lest they stumble when their engine no longer served them like his no longer served him. And for the record, he talked about the choices he made and the embarrassment he felt when hmm. he was the greyhound that caught the rabbit. Well done. Yeah, it's uh, just so yeah, cool. That's He's so a class, cool. class guy. The purpose of your organization, folks, is to serve your society. It sure as hell isn't to serve you. And your job as an executive is the long-term sustainment of that organization, which will require, at times, wrenching changes as society wrenches itself left and right and back and forth. And it serves society for the betterment of that society, and then derivatively, and only derivatively, for the people in your organization. As one of my favorite books, A Purpose Driven Life, said with its first sentence, I can sum this cast up with this simple phrase, it's not about you. So good. So good. God, that's how you start thinking about being executive like this. Man, life, life yeah. becomes more exciting, more purpose-driven life. Right? Yeah, yeah. It's better. It's better. It's just better for you, for society, for everybody. Right. But the people who haven't been there, they can't see it. It's a big jump. We have taught managers. We have taught individual contributors that they should focus internally. One of the beauties of one of the greatest, no, the greatest change in management behavior in the last 25 years is Agile. It is. Mm -hmm. And leave it to IT. I've said this before. Leave it to IT. The worst managed organization in all organizations for the, last, for the previous 50 years to bring us a brilliant improvement in how people can be managed. And one of the tenets of Agile is get close to the customer, find out what they want, and make mm -hmm. rapid changes to give the customer what they want. That is IT acting in an executive life way, like way by thinking about things outside the organization. Not defending their code, but saying, what does the customer want? And what it has meant is things have gotten faster and better at the same time and without spending more money. In fact, I would argue spending less money. Yeah. Awesome, dude. I enjoyed it immensely. Yeah, it's good fun. I enjoy our exec tools cast. Thank you. All right. Thanks, everybody. Um, we'll see you a couple weeks from now.